uh, instead. Let me pray and we'll turn to just three verses from uh, this wonderful epistle uh, to the Corinthians. Thank you, Father, that we can gather here this morning as your people, uh, encourage each other by song and um, hear your word. And I pray that your word will bear fruit in our lives today, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, my wife and I spent some years working in Pakistan. Uh, in fact, Sarah was born there. Uh, her folks were missionaries. She spent uh, 25 years of her life in Pakistan. I spent, I was just a visitor briefly. I was there for 11 years. But 11 years is 11 years. In fact, I was talking to a guy a while ago, and he said to me, this has been said before, oh, 11 years, you must have liked it. <laughs> I said, not going to be too pious, well, sometimes you do things because they're right, not just because you like them. Isn't, isn't that right? And I, I'll be frank, I think uh, we found, this won't surprise you, we found Pakistan pretty tough. Uh, great people there, we worked with some great people, but tough. One thing we found tough was uh, putting our kids in boarding. I just saw the family, Megan and Joel, with four, three, to be four. Your oldest is four, maybe? My guess is four-ish, your oldest? Five. Five. We put our boys in boarding at six. In a year's time. Six. We saw them in term time about once every three months. It was a weekend. We lived about three hours from the school, Murray Christian School it was called, boarding school for missionary kids. We'd drive up the mountains, three-hour trip, get there about four o'clock, Boys come running out, leap into our arms. You know, we, in the car, we had two little girls. Uh, we drive back home together singing songs. It's terrific. Get home Friday night, have a special dinner, a lot of fun, watch a video. Saturday, they, they play in the compound and watch videos. Saturday night, go into the bazaar and get chicken tickers and naan and roti and have a great time. Go to bed Saturday night, a bit quieter, a bit, bit more mellow. Sunday morning, no game, just again watch a video. Lunch, before we head back, Nate climbs onto Sarah's knee and just hugs her, Mum, I don't want to go back. <laughs> Drive back up the hill, no songs, back up the hill, into the school. How are you feeling, Philippa? Get out of the car. Nate, from time to time, would wrap his arms around me like this, like a vice. And the boarding parent would kind of prise the arms off. Go, go, go. Once you're gone, they'll be fine. They'll be fine once you're gone. And, and they were. They were fine. Ten minutes time with their, their friends. They were I was a cot case. They were fine. Driving home with tears in my eyes. I said to Sarah one time, honey, this is hard. She said, Yes. But hard isn't always bad. I have a wise wife. Now, lest you think I've scarred my kids for life, okay? They love Murray School. In fact, Nate, the boy who prized, went back there two years, he's now a school teacher, went back there two years ago to teach there. Oldest boy, Joel, did a gap year at a similar school in India. My youngest, Pippa, is finishing Bible college in America, wants, uh, will work with missionary kids. Probably their, their favorite school. They love Murray School. But it, it wasn't easy for them or for us. 
but I think it was the making of them and us too. Hard isn't always bad. These are getting, aren't they, harder days for us? We keep hearing how things are changing in Australia. That's true. Things are getting harder. Less freedom. Mind you, nothing's changed. It's been like that for a long time. I just read a while ago about England in the 17th century, the 1600s, a so-called Christian country. King Charles II, a so-called Christian king, where you could be killed for preaching the gospel in a, in a Christian country. Thousands of pastors, Puritans, lost, lost their churches. Hundreds imprisoned. In 1685 alone, 300 executed. In Christian Britain. You moan about Bill Short and Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> Mate. And one man in prison was a man called John Bunyan. Heard of him? He wrote a few books. John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison away from his wife and four kids, including his youngest, Mary, who was blind. From his prison cell, Bunyan wrote this. The parting of my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. Especially my poor, my poor blind child, who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I brought, I thought my blind one might go under, would break my heart to pieces. Like the tearing of the flesh from his bones. Agony. He wrote in prison and elsewhere 60 books. One called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's been called the most widely circulated book in the world apart from the Bible. In 200 languages, never out of print. Blessed thousands, saved many. Written in part, in prison where you could go to jail for preaching the gospel. Because hard isn't always bad. Well, I want to think with you about uh, some, just three verses from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's most personal letter. Very personal. Heart-rending heart at times. Gut-wrenching. So he begins like that. He begins, uh, ch chapter 1, verse 3, to the, to the garden father of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the God who made the world, not the God who saved us, not the judge of all the earth, but the father of all compassion and comfort. So right up front he says, this is a, is a personal letter. Then he's right into it, verse 5 he says, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 8, we are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life itself. Verse 9, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. This guy is in agony. You read 2 Corinthians. Oppressed by the Jews, stoned, shipwrecked, and to make things worse, despised by fellow Christians. Can you believe that? Bad enough the world's against you, but the church turns against you, accusing Paul of being a phony, a liar, a hypocrite, in it for the money. Or, so this letter is in part a defense of his ministry. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That is, we're vulnerable. We're fragile. He says, 
the words we hear. Hard-pressed, crushed, perplexed, persecuted, but not in despair, not struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. So says Paul, despite it all, we don't lose heart. I was in Malaysia last year with a missionary, been there many years. Finds her church, doesn't feed her. Finds her quiet times frustrating, sees no fruit for her work, and, and she's losing heart. I spoke at a convention a while ago. The guy said to me, Mike, I haven't heard a talk for years that has inspired me. I've come this weekend to be inspired. He's losing heart. I hope you're not losing heart. Despite all Paul's been through, he doesn't lose heart. And now he tells us why. So I want to encourage you today. I don't, I don't know your life, your lives. But if you are losing heart, here's three things Paul says to encourage us. Though, for, so. You could hum it, couldn't you? Though, for, so. We won't go, we won't go there. But 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Though, for, so. Here's the first one. Though outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed every day. He said, well, jars of clay, not saucepans of stainless steel, jars of clay, we are wasting away. Do I need to prove to you, dear friends, that outwardly you are wasting away? Do I need to? I think not. I think not. Now, you can try to hide it. You, know, you, you can dye your hair, men. You can powder your faces. You can dress 20 years younger. That's my wife's strategy. I have what my wife calls old man trousers. She hates them. Wives, your men have trousers. Yeah, they, they do. John has old man trousers. I said, <laughs> she said, honey, they make you look 64, sweetie. I am 64, but you don't have to look 64. Okay? So she, she, she works at my wardrobe. My wife has declared a jihad on my eyebrows. <laughs> right, right, ladies? Right, wife? They've gone feral at my age. And the, the worry is, today eyebrows, next month nasal hair, the ears, my head will be like the botanical gardens just f everywhere. So outwardly wasting away. Now, you can, you can pretend, you can pretend, can't you? You can get your Fitbit. And do your 10,000 steps. You can pop your pills. You can carry your bottled water. Change your diet. Go to the gym. But in the end, many of mine's motto is, eat well, keep fit, die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's just true, isn't it? It's true. It's true. Outwardly wasting away. But here, here's the great thing. But inwardly being renewed every day. You've heard of the writer Oscar Wilde, some of you have, wrote a famous book, uh, The Portrait 
of Dorian Gray. Do you know, you know the story? It's about this guy, Dorian Gray, who's young, handsome, has a portrait painted of himself. Then he thinks, I'll grow old and wither, and this portrait will stay young. He says, I give my soul to switch that. The portrait grows old and decays and withers, and I stay young. And the devil grants his wish. And the portrait, not just old and withered, becomes depraved. As, as his wicked soul feeds it, it becomes hideous. He puts it away so it can't be seen. It's so hideous. Well, he stays young. So the world sees the veneer on the outside of someone who's young and pure and handsome, but, but locked away is the real Dorian, decayed, withered, depraved, hideous. We are Dorian Gray in reverse. Outwardly wasting away, becoming withering away. But inwardly, God is painting a portrait of our lives. The canvas is our lives. The oils, the watercolors, are the hard things we go through. These afflictions. And by them, God is making us lovely and pure, like hidden away in heaven. And one day it will be revealed for all creation to see. The true, the true person made in the image of Jesus. So God is making you and me inwardly new every day, more like Jesus, by these afflictions. That's wonderful news, isn't it? That's terrific. That's why lately, actually, I've changed my prayers. I pray, I hope you do too, I, I pray every day. I pray some set prayers. I love them. I, I've always prayed for, like you have today, for others. I pray for their salvation, their health, all these things. But I've begun to pray more for myself than I used to. And in particular, my inward renewal. Can I share with you one of my prayers? I'll do it. It might encourage you. Here's the prayer, one prayer I pray for myself on a morning. Please, make me the person you want me to be. Prepare me to do the good works you want me to do and help me to do them. Today, I offer myself to you to love, worship, and serve you. Increase my love, friendliness, tolerance, purity, and generosity, and my sympathy and patience. Help me stop comparing myself with others, feeling either jealous or superior. Help me to honor and love others in ministry and not compete with them. Take from me the desire to be noticed and praised by others. Help me to pursue holiness, desire your love, affirmation, approval, and acceptance, and to live for your glory and honor. Amen. I'd love God to answer that prayer. Though outwardly wasting away, being renewed every day for these light, momentary afflictions. See the contrast? A working, a heavy, 
eternal glory. Light, heavy, a moment, forever, affliction, glory. Now, not all could call life's troubles light and momentary. I heard a sermon some years ago in my church in Sydney by a young guy. He asked to speak on suffering. And he began by saying, look, I must be honest, I've never suffered. Great opening line. I said to myself, well, why are you wasting my time? Now, he was being honest, which is fair enough. But really, to speak on suffering, you need to have suffered, don't you? I think so. To give the talk some authenticity. To say, these things are light and momentary, you need to have suffered. Or it sounds actually harmful and hurtful. And Paul has suffered. So Paul can say this. He can mean that. Compared to forever, they're light and momentary. Like, let's imagine, like Margie, who's married. And her husband hasn't told her in 25 years that he loves her. Or shown it. But she stuck with him because she made a promise to him and to God. Or Andrew, who's been in depression for 15 years, hasn't known a day of joy in 15 years. But still loves Jesus and serves him. Or Beth, has three daughters. One lives with her boyfriend. One's a militant atheist. One's come home and told her that she's gay and has a partner. And it breaks her heart. And she cries every night. But still loves them and prays for them and serves her church. Or Su Eng, whose parents are Buddhist. I've told her she's no longer their daughter because she won't worship the ancestors and can't come to her brother's wedding next month in Singapore. Light, momentary afflictions. They weren't for Paul, were they? Hated by Jews, despised by fellow believers. He knew the pain. They were painful physically, emotionally, Mentally, I think spiritually, excruciating. But he could say, next to forever. What's 25 years in a loveless marriage compared to forever with a loving father? What's 15 years of depression compared to an eternity of joy? What's three kids who break your heart compared to paradise with brothers, sisters, kids, parents who you're intimately related to? What's being barred from the family wedding compares us to a seat at the table of the wedding feast of the Lamb? By contrast, light, momentary afflictions are working, producing in us an eternal weight of glory. So, we don't lose heart. Because what is seen is temporary 
what's unseen is eternal. My kids went to primary school in, in uh, Newtown in Sydney, North Newtown Public School. It was the end of year, and I remember this vividly, a speech day at the school, and a teacher gave a speech to, to all the students. My son Nate was, was 12, Pippa was 10, and Lauren was 6. And he gave a speech, or she gave a speech. And she said this, boys and girls, I want you to imagine you're on a train journey. And the train is passing through these wonderful patchwork of fields. Green, and you see the willows blowing in the breeze, the cows grazing. It's just rich in green. Lo lovely picture. Then the train goes from the fields into the mountains. It's breathtaking, these awesome peaks, the glaciers. You see the skiers down the sides of the slopes. It takes your breath away. Then you leave the mountains, and then you come beside a river. It's just clear blue water. Clear blue, you can see the fish swimming, you see the, the uh, water skiers. It's all wonderful. Just the, the, the fields, the mountains, the river, wonderful. But all the while, she said, you're looking to get to the destination. You can't wait to get to the sta sta station. You can't wait for the journey's end. Boys and girls, I want to say to you this morning, there is no station. There's no journey's end. There's no, there's no special place at the end of the journey. There's just the journey. So you, you finish primary school and you can't wait to get to high school. Then you can't wait to get to university and graduate and get a degree and get a job. You can't wait to get married, have a mortgage, have kids. Then you can't wait to retire. All the while waiting, longing, hoping for the end, the journey, the, the special place. When there is no special place. That's just the journey, she said. So she said, here's her advice, her words were, take off your shoes and run barefoot. Slurp an ice cream, she said. Smile more, for goodness sake, cry less. Most people go through life, she said, with regrets from the past and fears of the future when they need to realize there is no future. There's just the now. In other words, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. There's nothing I like about her talk. Two things in particular. What kind of world is she living in? I mean, really. Is our world, is Scoresby, Studwood, Knox, your world, Mulgrave, is it, is it a world of green fields, snow-capped peaks and crystal blue waters? Give me a break. Don't you talk to people? Do you live in a cocoon? Don't you have neighbours? Don't you have conversations with folk? I should run BCV, now MST. We had an open day one time, a woman came with her daughter. She came, daughter came to check us out. Got chatting to the mum, who wasn't a Christian. The topic came up of parents. I said, I said, oh, my parents are in heaven. She said, really? do you believe in heaven? <laughs> I said, I'm the Bible college principal, I said. <laughs> I'm paid to believe in heaven. I, I didn't say that. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I said, then I said to her, yes, I think most people do. Because for most people, life down here is so tough 
they think there must be something more than this. And she said in a flash, I know in three minutes, you're right, life is hell. Life is, don't give me this green field, snow-capped peaks and crystal blue waters. For most folk, life is hell. If that's all there is, there's no end. But more than that, of course, there is a station, isn't there? A hope. A journey's end. Because what's seen is temporary. What's unseen is eternal. She told my kids, there's no heaven, there's no hell. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And all God is doing now in my life and yours through the hard times is to prepare me for this. For the day he'll say to me, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. We'll make all things new, won't you? A body which is incorruptible, with legs, arms, brains, eyebrows, <laughs> fit for eternity. When the wild animal will be my friend. The wind and waves, I take it, will obey my command where the brambles will become begonias the weeds wisteria the thorns tulips and you say to me to you well done good and faithful servant come receive the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the portrait is brought out for all to see, all creation of you and me in the image of Christ. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, what joy shall fill my heart. And one more, which we'll sing in a moment. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Though outwardly wasting away, inwardly renewed. For these slight, light, momentary afflictions are working in you and me an eternal weight of glory. So don't lose heart. Because what is seen is temporary. What's unseen is eternal. So, beloved, hard isn't always bad. Amen? Let me pray. Father, you know our, our life situation, our uh, our heartbreaks, our fears, our pains, our sorrows, our sufferings, our afflictions. 
and they seem to be never-ending. And at times, you seem far away. But thank you for the words of your servant Paul, who endured more than we've endured, for your sake, and yet could write these words of hope that we may not lose heart. To keep us, we pray, each person here today, persevering and growing in faith, joy, and love until we receive the glory you have prepared for us. I ask this for your name's sake and for our salvation. Amen.